Hey, I just want to say thank you for checking out this message today. I hope that it helps you, that it encourages you, and that you are able to learn a little bit more about who God is and why so many people throughout history have chosen to become followers of Jesus. If you enjoy this message and you want to hear more, you can find us on Facebook or YouTube, but ultimately you can find everything you need to know at clcwinnipeg.ca. There you can find more messages, you can find our social handles, ways to get connected to our church, and if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do that as well. And like I said before, I hope that you are encouraged by the message you're about to hear. God bless you. So if you've been with us for a while, you may know that we're in a series called Jesus Is currently. Last month we were doing a series called God Is, talking about the names of God. And this month we're talking about who Jesus was, his life and history and who he was as a person and what it means for us today. I think it's important that we understand exactly who Jesus was. A lot of people think that maybe he wasn't a real person or that he was just a good teacher or a prophet. But as Christians, we believe that he was actually the son of God. And I think it's important that we understand who it is that we're talking about when we talk about Jesus. And I want to illustrate that with a story. I'm currently at the university and I read a story this week about popular theologian N.T. Wright. He wrote in one of his books about when he was a chaplain at one of the colleges on the Oxford University campus. And he wrote this. Each year I used to see the first year undergraduates individually for a few minutes to welcome them to the college and make a first acquaintance. Most were happy to meet me, but many commented, often with slight embarrassment, you won't be seeing much of me. You see, I don't believe in God. I developed a stock response. Oh, that's interesting. Which God is it that you don't believe in? This used to surprise them. They mostly regarded the word God as a univocal, always meaning the same thing. So they would stumble out a few phrases about the God they said they did not believe in. A being who lived in the sky, looking down disapprovingly at the world, occasionally intervening to do miracles, sending bad people to hell while allowing good people to share his heaven. Again, I had a stock response for the very common statement of spy in the sky theology. Well, I'm not surprised you don't believe in that God. I don't believe in that God either. At this point, the undergraduate would look startled, then perhaps a faint look of recognition. It was sometimes rumored that half of the college chaplains at Oxford were atheists. No, I would say, I believe in the God I see revealed in Jesus of Nazareth. This story does well to point out the different ideas that we have of God. A lot of people have allowed culture or movies or things that they've read in books to influence their ideas of God. But they're not always accurate ideas. Some of us may picture God as this wise old man looking down from heaven who's mostly benign. He doesn't really do anything. Some people may look at God as uh, just ready to throw stones, just judgmental. One who is looking to be disappointed in our actions. Or some people might see God as kind of the movie type where Morgan Freeman usually plays him as mostly friendly, but sometimes intervenes. And hopefully if you're watching this and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, that's not really the picture that you have. Hopefully our series that we just did called God Is has helped you to sort through some of those ideas. But maybe you're not a follower of Jesus and you're wondering why on earth would people dedicate even just every Sunday morning 
to God, let alone every day. And maybe you're trying to figure out who exactly Jesus is. And I hope to answer some of those questions for you today by talking about the fact that Jesus was a man. Now that sounds simple, but Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. So for him to also be a man, I think that's something that we really have to sort through to understand exactly who Jesus was and what he came here to do. Because we can accept that Jesus is God, but we also understand that Jesus walked here on earth. And there's been a lot of people who have tried to disprove the life of Jesus, who have tried to suggest that maybe he didn't exist, or maybe he did, but his life was actually really insignificant, and there was a lot of people who lived like Jesus. It just so happened that his story was the one that lived on. And I don't want to get too deep into the evidence. I think that there's better resources that can talk about that. And in fact, Pastor Jim even talked about that last week, some of the historical evidence of Jesus' life. So if we can accept that there may have been a historical figure named Jesus who really lived, then we can talk about his life. So let's turn to John chapter 1. So John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, honestly, we could spend weeks just unpacking that passage. There's so much there. It's, it's so rich and so much depth there. But first, I just I want to start with a few basics. Why are we talking about the word? What is the word? It runs all throughout this passage and ultimately refers to Jesus. But for the audiences that it was originally written to, that, that phrase, the word, had some significant impact. For the first audience that he was writing to, the Jewish audience, the word refers to the word of the Lord. Basically, any time in the Old Testament that God spoke, they referred to it as the word of the Lord. So they were actually attributing, John was attributing God speaking to Jesus. He was the word. So we know that Jesus was becoming the word in the flesh. Like we see in verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this was not just saying that someone really important came. This was saying that God himself became flesh. That God himself came to the world. And then the other audience that it would have 
impacted was the Greek audience. For them, the Greeks were famous for their intellectual debates, for their battle of wits, and they were often looking for the meaning of life, the, the reason for life, and the short word that they used for that was the word. They talked about logos, which is actually the, the original word that John was using here, logos, which we generally mean, which we generally say means logic. But they were looking for the logos of the universe, of life, the, the logic of it, the reason for it. And John said, this is the reason for life. This man is the, the logos you've been looking for. And if they chose to believe in Jesus, they would have to redefine the meaning of life around one man, around one person, and that was Jesus. So now we know what we're talking about. Let's, let's talk about what we're not talking about. So Jesus was a man, and that is something that people have struggled with for centuries. How could God become a man? What does that mean for us? What does that imply? And for centuries, different groups and different thought leaders have come up with theories of what that might mean. And some of the really important ones that the church has wrestled with through history have now become known as heresies because they are heretical. They are incorrect. And we know that there's one true doctrine that the Christian church believes in everything else is in error. This passage is important because it shows us what Jesus was, but it also shows us who he was not. So he was not a divine being who was pretending to be a human, which is docetism. He was not a human who became divine. That's adoptionism. And one of the most popular heresies that had to be dealt with, I, I believe in the fourth century, was that Jesus, while he was the son of God, was neither eternal nor as fully divine as God the Father. That was Arianism. So it suggested that Jesus was a man, but that there was somewhere in between, like maybe being an angel and actually being God. And he sat somewhere in there as certainly a divine being, but maybe someone that we would refer to as a lowercase g, God. And then you have other heresies like Apollinarianism, Monophysitism, Nestorianism, Modalism. Hopefully I pronounced all of those right. I don't think I did, to be honest. But so these are all of the ideas that we have taken through history and people have wrestled with those ideas. It's, so if, if though something in there makes more sense to you, it's worth looking into and saying, okay, is this actually right? Or is this just something that helps me to understand who God is, but actually is incorrect and I need to stop thinking that way? So what do we see here? God became a man. There's this beautiful lyric from the song, This is Amazing Grace, and it's in this one recording where the, the writer Jeremy Riddle, he sings this line. I don't even think it's part of the song. I think it was just an impromptu thing. He, he's saying, what other king leaves his throne? What other king leaves his glory to die? And that's, that's so true. What other king would leave his throne voluntarily? What other king other than Jesus would step down from the glory of heaven, the glory of sitting 
on, in the throne room of God to come to earth, to live in a very real human experience and to eventually die for lesser beings than he. And I think this can become easier to understand with uh, the message version of the Bible by Eugene Peterson, this, the famous paraphrase of, of the Bible. He wrote, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. But God moved into the neighborhood. So if you can imagine what, what, what it's like right now, 2020, this wild, crazy year that's been so up and down, and Jesus just moved into that. And honestly, for a lot of us, it feels like this is maybe the hardest year ever. But the reality is, is that humanity's been broken for a long time. This world has been broken for a long, long time. And Jesus willingly stepped off the throne to go into that. And he, we know that he had the fullness of the human experience, God walking among us. He ate like us. He hydrated like us. He walked like us. He did everything in the human experience. Michael Bird wrote, the New Testament speaks to the full humanity of Jesus. He has a human birth, childhood, adulthood, and death. He has a fully orbed existence at the emotional level with grief, sorrow, joy, frustration, love, and anger, as well as a complete physical existence with tiredness, hunger, and thirst. Jesus comes as bone to our bone and flesh to our flesh. Jesus bleeds and breathes like one of us since he is truly one with us. He speaks with a human voice. He prays with human needs. He laughs as one among friends. He cries human tears and he walks in human sandals. In the story of Jesus, we see divine amnesty clothed in human frailty. So Jesus didn't just become kind of a man. He didn't, for part of his life, live as a man and then part of his life switched to God mode. He was all in on being a person, on walking among us and getting the full human experience. But that raises the question, why did he need to do that? If God is all powerful and all knowing, why would he need to come to earth and live as one of us? What's the point? What other God is doing that? Well, let's look to the book of Hebrews, chapter two, verse 14 and 17. It says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. 
So Jesus had to intervene for us. Jesus had to make a way for us to be saved because they had a system in place, but it was not great. It required following so many rules. It was this law that God never wanted to be the, the permanent solution. He was making a better way through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's why God came to live as a man. An example to illustrate that. So imagine for a moment that you are on a boat trip, maybe like a cruise ship or like a yacht, something pretty large. And the boat gets into a storm and at one point you actually end up falling off the side of the boat. And the waters are choppy, there's a storm, and if something doesn't happen quickly, you actually might drown. What, what is not going to help you is another person jumping off the side of the boat and then trying to swim you onto it and rescue you that way. Because if you can't reach the side of the boat to actually grab onto, neither can they. They're in the exact same situation as you are. They have the same perspective as you do. What you need is somebody who's actually on the boat with a different perspective, a higher perspective in this case, to throw you a line, to provide a way for you to be rescued. But on the flip side, moving away from that illustration, Jesus could not be higher than a human, but lower than God. For example, if God had sent an angel here on earth, maybe, maybe angels are able to save us. I don't know. But then what we do know is that Jesus would not have been worthy of our worship. Because God says that we are to worship him and him alone. So if we are to worship Jesus, who is not God in this case, then we are actually blaspheming against God the Father and making an idol. So Jesus had to be God and fully God. But he also had to be a man. He had to be a human, but he also had to be a human so that as he was walking on earth, he could experience what it was that we were experiencing and so that he could actually be our high priest. The high priest played the role of someone who intervened for their people. For the people of Israel, it was the high priest who made the biggest and greatest sacrifices to atone for the sins of the people. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing. He was atoning for our sin. And through this, he not only became the God who saved us, but he also became our mediator to God the Father. God had to get it just right with Jesus. God knew exactly what he was doing. And you can just see the logical progression of why Jesus became a man and why Jesus walked among us. So what did he do? What, what was he doing when he was walking among us? Well, for the first 30 years of his life, Jesus seemingly didn't really accomplish that much that was that significant. But he was definitely experiencing the fullness of humanity. And honestly, his life was not awesome for a lot of it. Right from his birth, he was born basically in a barn. And then as he's becoming a, a young boy, just a toddler, the, the king issues basically a death warrant for Jesus 
and Jesus actually becomes a child refugee as his family has to escape out of the country. And then he grows in wisdom and stature, the Bible says. So he became an adult and he grew in wisdom. He memorized a lot of scripture. He learned a trade and he grew into a fully formed person. And I imagine that his working conditions weren't always great. Um, he probably wasn't super wealthy. In fact, by the time that he was in ministry, he seemingly was homeless at different times. But at the age of 30, he began his ministry. He became a great teacher, probably one of the greatest teachers ever, if not the greatest teacher ever, as he talks about morality and the kingdom of heaven. And through his ministry, he began to redeem individuals to himself through miracles, through healing people, through setting people free from sin. Second Corinthians 5 verse 19 says that God was reconciling the world to himself. And Jesus in his ministry was beginning the process of reconciling the world to himself. And then we all know he, he died. He was put to death. And not just any death, he was betrayed by one of his friends. He was blamed for something that he was not guilty of. He was stripped of all of his clothes, all of his possessions. He was beaten and then he was hung on a cross in public to die. And he did that for us so that he could actually die and raise again and do something that nobody else has ever done before. And that was as a person to under their own power resurrect from the dead. And in that act, he was finishing his redemption story. Because the story of Jesus' life is the journey of one man working to redeem us so that we might go and redeem all of humanity. Jesus, as Michael Bird says, united the human nature with the divine so that humanity might for all time be united with God and enjoy him forever. That's why Jesus became a man. Because up, into that, up to that point, there was a barrier between us and God. And we needed somebody to not only break down that barrier, but be the mediator in between us and God. And now there's no more barrier. And we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can re experience the fullness of the presence of God here on earth, here and now. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that this life is not all that there is for you. You know that this is just a blip in eternity. And so for now, we just get to work to actually begin to redeem humanity just as Jesus did. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we get to go out and we get to make disciples. And we get to tell people about what it is that Jesus has done for us. And we get to ask them to come alongside of us and join in his redemptive work here on earth. And we know that 
when we pass away from this life that it's not the end, but that it goes further. And we, we really truly will be in the presence of God at that point. But you might be listening to this and thinking, well, that's all well and good. That sounds nice. But what about right now? 2020 has actually been a really bad year for me. That could be what you're thinking right now. You might be thinking, yeah, but I'm still really bad at relationships. I am still struggling. I still don't have any money. I'm still sick. So that's all well and good that we can be redeeming, but what about my situation? And I remember talking about this when it really hit me that Jesus came as a man. I was in a Bible study a couple years ago and we were just talking about, I don't even remember where it was in scripture, but we were talking about the Bible and just some of the struggles that people were dealing with. And I remember one of the people in that study said, it just doesn't seem fair because I don't understand how God could relate to what I'm feeling. God expects us to be so good, but he doesn't know what it's like to be me. But that's exactly the point of Jesus. Is that now he does know what it's like to be you. He does know what it's like to be on earth and to struggle and to feel pain and to be betrayed and to be trying as hard as he can to make ends meet, to pray in anguish, to be angry at people. Jesus experienced it. He knows what it's like. So when we, when we look at the life of Jesus and we, when, we, when we look at our life, we get to know that we're not alone. And as I was thinking about that, I just, I was reminded of, of this lyric. Again, I'm, I'm quoting a song lyric for the second time. But it says, Jesus, what a savior, what a brother, what a friend. Lifter of the lowly, God, you meet me where I am. Jesus met us where we are. And he offered his friendship and, and his brotherhood and his saving grace. So know that God has redeemed you. He has made a way for you to experience him here on earth. And he has given you a brother and a friend. And that's why it's important that Jesus became a man. And if you have never taken the step to follow Jesus, there is a very simple prayer that you can pray to take that step. And all you have to do is say, God, I believe in you. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe in what you came here to do. I believe that you died and you rose again and you came to save me and I want to follow you. And that's it. And if you pray that prayer, 
please let us know because we would love to be able to help you and to be able to walk with you and and just learn about who you are and um, and help you along in this journey of following Jesus. Because we know that it's not always easy, but we do know as well that it's the greatest choice you can ever make. So if you made that decision, well, there's a link in the description of this video, uh, clcwinnipeg.ca slash follow Jesus. Just click that link and let us know that you made that decision today. And for the rest of you, I hope that you enjoyed this message. I hope that this served as a great reminder of who Jesus was and that it encouraged you today.